Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. This is High Tea with Grace, where we spill the tea on HIT. I'm thrilled to be welcoming Alyssa Jaffe, partner at Seven Wire Ventures, for our Hit Like a Girl, Fun Like a Girl series. So, Alyssa, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're so thrilled to learn from you and from all these amazing, badass digital health women investors. So tell us about the path that brought you to your role today. Yes. No, I'm so grateful. I've built such an amazing community and so many people have helped me along the way. I, um, I'm i operator turned investor. So I used to launch enterprise technologies in healthcare. I did solution selling and I managed teams for the advisory board company. I left there, I went to business school and that's really when I started transitioning into venture. I worked for two smaller funds and then I started a company. I raised the small rounds, about a million bucks for that business, but very interesting to go through the the, uh, the throes of venture capital fundraising. And then I transitioned to the board. We actually sold that business. And then I went more institutional investing. So I worked for the Pritzkers, uh, JB and his brother, Tony. JB is now governor of Illinois. They have about 8 billion AUM, three asset classes. And uh, just about five years ago now, I came over to Sunware Ventures. So I've been doing investing for almost a decade. Uh, have learned a lot, but have a, this is the most humbling job ever because every day you are doing something new and learning something new, which is kind of cool. That is really cool. And I think that's the coolest thing about working in the healthcare ecosphere in that way. You could be one second talking about interoperability, the next second AI, the next second precision medicine, the next second. I mean, there's so many op- opportunities to talk about so many and learn about so many different topics. So what inspired you to kind of focus on building businesses that empower healthcare consumers to take control of their health? And is that part of your investment thesis? It absolutely is. So our true north is what we call the informed, connected health consumer. So everything that we do is all about how we help people to become better stewards of their own health, thinking about healthcare technologies and services, meeting people where they are. And at the end of the day, nobody wants to be a patient. A patient are people that have things done to them. Consumers are active stewards of their health, that we don't want to actually have healthcare. And we don't want to be sick. We want to be healthy. We want to get access to health and care. Um, to enable us to live healthier and happier lives. And so, look, there's so many opportunities in healthcare, and I commend those who are building businesses and other 
um, realms or back office or provider efficiency. But our true north is really about how you and I get access to our information, connect into the system, the system connects to us so we can improve our own health outcomes. Because let's face it, majority of the time, not even, not more than 95% of the time, you're not in the room with your clinician, right? You are not actually, you have to leave that with the right information to make your own actionable decisions to help your own health journey. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to empower consumers to be better stewards of their own health. I love that. We should not need health care, right? I think you're so right. If care is predictive and can be done from your pocket and other ways to track, there's no reason why you should even need health care in the yes. traditional sense. Yes. And, yes. and health systems and payers can be leading that charge. You know, it doesn't just have to be consumers. But I'm interested in these B to B to C models now that involve collaboration between businesses and consumers. How do you see this type of model creating value in digital health space? What are the key advantages it offers over other models? Yeah, it, it's a great question, Grace. I think for us um, that when I, I'll talk a lot about consumer directed care, a lot about empowering consumers, but what I'm not talking about and what I do not mean is cash pay direct to consumer that um, that's a very different model. It's okay to start there to get some initial um, data points, proof points to build up, you know, a strategy, product market fit to get some out early, you know, problems or outcomes data. But at the end of the day, the bulk of the dollars are locked up with the incumbents and people are very traditionally used to receiving their healthcare in this country from their health plan, from the government, uh, from their employer. And so if you are not able to unlock the value um, and the the drivers that exist within a health plan or employer, or provider, or pharma, it's very very hard to build a massive healthcare business. There's many who have who I think have done wellness companies, right? Um, but that's very different than a healthcare company. And then I spend a lot of my time in the throes of care, and I'm a big believer in care delivery. Big believer that if you want to make real impact in healthcare that we are in the business of delivering care. So many of my companies will be tech-enabled services. Many of them are B2B2C business models. Most of them are um, or are pivoting into it and really are, are looking to work with the incumbents to get the kind of scale needed to drive real value. That's such a good point. You know, obviously, health plans are now playing a significant role in this, you know, in the healthcare ecosystem. How do digital health startups effectively effectively collaborate with health plans to scale their impact and reach a wider audience than they would have before? Yeah, it, it, you know, I think there's different models where we've seen success. And a lot of uh, my job is to help with that, right? My job is not just capitals, in my opinion, is a commodity. Um, my job is to help drive growth. We are a concentrated portfolio strategy. So we do fewer deals and really focus on how we can help our companies and drive the most value and the most growth possible in the right way. And so those relationships are relationships that we own, relationships with some of the largest health plans in the country, the largest employers in the country. And so when I bring an opportunity to them, it's because I know what they're looking for and I'm playing matchmaker. And I'm just not, I'm not sending an email introduction. Sometimes I'm getting on the Zoom, I'm getting on the airplane and I'm helping them to close that business. So as you think about, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about warm introductions and venture, the same exists in, in customer growth. And that's why picking your partner, especially if you're a venture-backed business is so important. 
think there's another piece of this, which is um, really building up. It's, it, you know, folks that say, I'm going to go out and build a case rate business. Like that is absolutely admirable, but it will take a lot longer sometimes to, to build that strategy. And so in order to build up to it, what are the other proof points that you can have? Um, are you delivering a service where you actually can build, you can credential your providers with the, with, um, you know, in network with them, with your plans and you can bill in a fee for service. Are there employers where you can show proof points where there becomes a pulse strategy, or I guess maybe more of a push strategy where employers are sort of pushing it up into their plan saying, we love this, we want this, you know, now to live in your world. So I think there's a lot of incremental steps that also could be taken in order to achieve some of those, those um, milestones with the big health plan. Mm, and like kind of coming into this as having been an operator, you bring that whole sense of this is what worked for me, what didn't work for me. You know, are there, I really appreciate investors that see their board position as becoming an employee of the company in many ways, because it's like you want to drive business just as much as anyone else does. And so I know there's a lot of investors that don't see it that way. And women find themselves in situations where they're like, Oh, it's basically just a dead spot on the board seat. I need support. You know, I need help. Right. So I'm wondering, you know, coming from the operated, operator side of the house, are there specific strategies or best practices you always recommend to startups when they're negotiating and establishing partnerships with health plans and with health systems? And are they different? Yeah, I'll answer this question. So first I'll kind of take on the relationship piece where my job is to be the best supporting cast I can possibly be for my companies. My job is to hustle beyond belief to make sure they are successful and to stand in the shadows and be the happiest mom alive that you know, they achieved what they set out to do. And it's a really, it is so hard to build companies. It is so hard to be an early stage founder. My job is to be in the trenches and the first call, that there are no surprises, that no matter what happens, that you never feel scared to tell me what's going on so that we can figure it out together. That is what real partnership is. This is a marriage. I am on your board for five, seven, 10 years. It is a very long time. You know, It is not a transactional relationship. And I think if you think about the heyday of venture and, you know, exploding term sheets and making decisions in a day. I think a lot of the challenges is people lost that selection. They they lost the opportunity to say, hey, like, is this a partner that I really want? Is this the person that's going to be best for me? And so, you know, a lot of our efforts and my efforts are around building relationships with founders from the very, very, very early days, getting to know them over the course of years before I actually write a check or make an investment. So they know what they're getting into. I say, call every single one of the, the CEOs and, and of the boards I'm on, right? not even the board, anyone in our portfolio and ask what it's like to work with me. I want to make sure that they know that I'm not that show up once a quarter, you know, ask a few numbers, questions and leave and don't show up again. That's really not the relationship that we set out to build. Our and that's why you're the best of the best. So everyone call Alyssa. <laughs> Please always call me. I love it. I mean, look, this job is addicting. How can I not love it? I get to see the future every day. I get to meet the brightest, most interesting people out there. Um, you asked me, though, about how my operator driven model. So look, mm. I have done it. I, when I was 23 years old, I was put on the road. I wasn't even old enough to rent a car. They had to pay extra health insurance. So extra insurance for me to rent a car, but yet I was old enough 
to present to full health system executive teams. And every day I was in a new city presenting to a new executive team and listening to their challenges, thinking about how to launch technologies, thinking about how to get them to adopt new technologies, thinking about relaunches and the build and taking that feedback to my team and continuing to iterate on, you know, really building out a solution cell model. So there's so many pieces of my history in kind of building my little business with inside, you know, a larger business that I'm able to translate for our companies. And a lot of it is sometimes um, narrative building and sometimes it's it's process, like how to run a best in class process. And whether that's you know fundraising or hiring or go to market strategies, um, M&A activity, and really ensure that I'm helping our companies to do whatever I can to, to, to help that success. And so um, I I do know what it's like to stay. Uh, I think I, I should try to see if I, I have this, but the, um, you know, to be the Hampton Inn member of the month. Okay. I know what it's like to stay in every small town, <laughs> in every city. Um, I think I've been to 96 of the top 100 cities in the country. So uh, my life is not that, yeah, my travel is, is still, still a good amount, but nothing like it used to be. But again, just just translating, you know, the lessons learned from the past and also from the conversations of today. You know, I still continue to travel the country and I still continue to meet with the customers of my companies and to translate that back and say, here are their priorities or here with their feedback or here's what they're looking for and finding opportunities to partner. Mm. Do you find that there are any tips for negotiating that you tell them that you found particularly useful that you're like, this is this is the jam. Try this. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's a whole other podcast. For yeah. um, a weekend web, well, a weekend yes, workshop. Yes, yes. I, I think one of the, um, you know, there, there's a whole, I think there's a general um, kind of sales mentality around um, team-based selling, creating urgency, um, identifying champions, identifying your naysayers. I mean, again, there's a whole sort of, that, that, that spans across industries. Then I think there's like a specific in healthcare um, that there is, that the price is not always the price, right? There's always mm-hmm. opportunities to renegotiate rates. There's always opportunities to expand and grow contracts. And um, there are a lot of ways to do that. And so, you know, often it is starting and sometimes accepting that, you know, the initial rate may not be our most desired rate, but that the path to get there actually is much more clear than maybe in an SMB where it's much harder to increase the price depending on the relationship that you have with that organization. That is fascinating. Exactly what I was wondering and it answered my question exactly um, like I was hoping. So the choice between vertical and horizontal solutions, right, can really impact a company's focus, scalability, like you said, you know, and how do you guide your entrepreneurs in making this strategic decision, you know, within the context of digital health and healthcare technology? Sure. We are big believers in solving real problems. So, um, we're thematic investors. I spend most of my time thinking about where there is opportunities and going out and finding those opportunities. So instead of sitting here and waiting for companies to come to me, I often know what I'm looking for. And then I'm going out and finding companies that I think solve that thesis. Sometimes that is investing in companies. And sometimes we end up not finding anything and we do start companies de novo through what we call our hatch program. And so, um, you know, as we think about the, that, that white space as we think about those opportunities and solving problems, we tend to be believers that it is much more effective to build a verticalized business that solves a problem and then scale it horizontally versus, um, 
you know, vice versa. And I'll give an example, obviously, Lee and Glenn built Livongo and Livongo was focused on diabetes and became very, very successful, the leader in that market, and then was able to expand throughout a number of chronic conditions, which then inevitably enabled, obviously, a very successful transaction and exit. So we do find it, and I, it's trying to be all things to all people becomes a much tougher narrative in healthcare. Um, it also requires a much more significant capital raise. Some people do want to go down that path that I just tend to be in less of the fit as an investor for those that are trying to pursue some of those opportunities. Interesting. Very, very cool. You know, I, I'm wondering, you know, when you're hearing folks pitch you, what do you really want to hear? Like, what are some things that you're like, yes, I need to hear this. This is the phrase. This is the numbers. This is the clinical validation. Like, what is it that you really need to have from them? Yeah, I think the first piece is I want to be told a great story, right? Pitching is storytelling. I want to believe in what you believe in. I want to drink the Kool-Aid, right? You made the Kool-Aid, you drank it, serve it to me. And um, that is from, for me, like, I want to understand why you and your team are best suited to solve this problem. I very much believe in founder market fit at the, the early stages. Healthcare, there are a lot easier ways to make money than in healthcare. People have to believe in this business. You know, we have Naomi Allen, CEO of Brightline, focus on pediatric behavioral health. She's a mom of three. Um, she has neurodiverse kids and she could not get the care she needed. And for her, like this is personal. We have Stephen Smith, CEO of NoCD. He has obsessive compulsive disorder, struggled with it his whole life. And his journey is so debilitating and, and devastating for how hard it was for him to eventually get to where he needed to be. And these founders say, I don't want anyone else to go through this, right? I don't want anyone else to experience the way that I had to experience it. So that like, kind of, look, there's always data I'm looking for. There's always the numbers I'm looking for. Obviously the economics have to make sense, but like at the core, I am looking for you to solve a real problem and for you to be the person that cares more about that problem than anybody else. So interesting. I think many founders would think that maybe their vulnerability or their story of pain shows this sign of weakness that maybe, oh, they can't handle running this big business or something like that. But in fact, you're saying, no, this shows a sense of urgency in what you're doing and solving this problem. And I want to hear that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that is where um, you... When, when founders understand a problem better than anybody else, it's very hard to um, compete against that. It's very hard to say, you know, this, this is someone who is not going to dedicate their whole life to this business. And it creates so many more layers and facets of why they become successful. Glenn, who, you know, my partner, Glenn Tolman, managing partner of Sunwire, is also now CEO of Transcare. When he founded Lavongo, his son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Mm. And he said, mm. I'm never going to let this happen to anybody else again. Like, mm. I'm going to fix this. I am. And that, you know, we'll dedicate our whole lives and a million lifetimes over to solving these challenges. But I think those founders who end up taking that type of attitude are the ones that are driven so much more. Um, and it's not a weakness, it's absolutely empowered by a strength. 
Mm, really impactful, really impactful. Now we have probably quite a few listeners that are interested in potentially becoming a digital health investor at some point. Lots of physicians, lots of students, you know, potentially thinking about taking the next step. Do you feel like business school is something you absolutely need to have? Or do you feel like your healthcare technology experience really informs that? You know, what are some recommendations that you give to folks interested in potentially getting into digital health investing? Yeah. Well, here's what I'll say. Um, the best thing about venture is there is literally no standard path. No, if you look at every VC, they all have different backgrounds. And that is what makes this job so interesting. Um, I will tell you, when I was uh, coming into venture, I was um, I, I, I was an operator and uh, I was not an investment banker. And at the time, being an investment banker was very in vogue, which is so funny now because that's obviously, you know, that's really, as we learned, being an operator has a lot of value in this business. Um, but a lot of folks said to me, you're not, you're never going to make an adventure because you weren't a banker. Now, I am a personality. If you tell me I'm never going to do something, I will 100% do it um, just because somebody told me that I can't. So I think that um, but business school was was so transformative for me. I had unbelievable mentors, um, an unbelievable network. It, there's amazing VCs that did not go to business school and amazing VCs that did. It is a personal choice. I'm always happy to share my own experience. I, I loved going to the University of Chicago booth, School of Business. It was um, just a, a, the, the curriculum, the program, the way they think about building leaders um, was just, I, I thought, a, a great approach. But again, um, there's no one size fits all. And so as I think about folks that are coming into venture, you know, I always like to say, um, I, I like to say, get yourself so far into the spider web that nobody can get you out. I mean, I worked for free for a lot of people for a long time. You know, I was um, volunteering, interning, meeting founders, angel investing, doing everything that I could to show that this was something that I could be really successful at. And look, I hire on three vectors of passion for technology, analytical horsepower, and original thought. And this is a business where we want people to have opinions, right? We want people to have a fire and an energy and love this job. This job is, um, it is so interesting, but it is also so confusing. You have no idea if you're good at this job for a very, very, very long time. And so I, I do think for those who are trying to get into it, um, one of the things I always say too, or maybe um, are in, in it and in, in very early stages of their career, as I reflect you know, today I'm able to bring a lot of big relationships to the table, but in the early days I was not. And what I did was I did anything, anything my CEOs needed. There was nothing, there was no ego associated with it. When you talk about in the trenches, like I will be your first call. I will build that model for you. I will cold call for you, right? I will um, pitch practice with you, whatever you need. Right, I will be that person for you, and I will always answer and always respond. And you will be shocked by that mantra does not exist across all board members. And so mm -hmm. I think that there's just mm -hmm. oh, you know those that want this is not this job is not rocket science, right? This job is about conviction, about insight, about longevity. Um, you know, there's a lot of economics and finance involved. So that's why I talk about analytical horsepower and the ability mm -hmm. to get to the so what, right? The ability to synthesize data and really understand, you know, what the risks are, because this job is just about varying degrees of risk and how much risk we're willing to take and what makes sense um, as we take on that risk. 
Mm, so you're saying if you can hit like a girl and you hit like a girl, you can be, you can fun like a girl. <laughs> totally. totally. I love yes. that. So now moving on to your personal life, you know, obviously you're, you've built this amazing career uh, so much. Folks really, really respect you in the space. What are things that you do every day to work your best and make a difference to be the leader that you are? Thank you. Well, um, uh, I have three children, so every day I start my day with a chaos circus of a household. Um, I am not, I will never be a, I get up at, maybe I will be one day, but I am not a 5 a.m. You know, you read about all these super successful people. Um, I am not a morning person, so I typically wake up, you know, maybe a little bit before my kids to get ready. Um, but we, we sort of roll the morning as a family like that. I really love family mornings. I think it's really a special way to spend some time with my kids. And um, it's always, you know, something funny or outrageous always happens. Um, you know, for me to show up every day, a, a lot of it is also, um, and, and something a discipline I'm really working on is, you know, not um, playing the game of whack-a-mole. Like I'm just getting things done, emails done, meetings done. Um, but what are my goals, right? What are my goals for this quarter? What are my goals for this year? What are my goals for the next five years? And what am I doing daily to achieve those goals? What are my personal goals, my professional goals? Um, and, and trying to uh, lift myself up to see that is is a big area of focus. I, I will say I, I historically have not been great at this. Um, I am. I have very high throughput. I'm a thriving chaos person. So I'm one of five kids. So like you can throw anything on my plate and I can absorb it. I think the difference is, um, you know, versus just like because I, I can take on so much, I can do a lot um, versus having the strategic mindset around what exactly am I blame my time to today? Um, and is this the highest and best use of time? That is awesome. Really, really cool. So, you know, I'm sure challenges have come your way. You know, what are things that you do now also to overcome these challenges when you do when you are faced with challenges or heat or, you know, you're dealing with a lot of risk? You know, what are ways that you overcome those things? Sure. Um, and you, you mean kind of professional challenges, personal challenges? Both, either yeah. and or. Yeah. Because I know it intertwines when you're in it this. It does. It does. I mean, the nice part is, is that the older I get, um, you know, the harder it is to sort of be two different people. The harder it is to be work Alyssa, mom Alyssa, and sort of keep these separate fine lines. Um, I work a lot. Um, I do. I love this job. So I do a lot of calls, you know, after my kids go to bed. Um, I do a lot of CEO calls from 8 to 10 at night. Um, and it doesn't bother me at all, but from 530 to 7.30, like I'm usually all fine. If you need me, you can call me, but I'm not sitting at my computer. Like I'm with my family. Um, I cook a lot. So we do a lot of family dinners and, you know, try, I, I would say, you know, one of the challenges, I, I wrote an article for fortune when I was, um, pregnant with my third child around stop asking women about work-life balance. It doesn't exist that it's every day. We sort of make these micro decisions. So every day I say, you know what? Today, I actually may not be able to do this thing for my with my family because I have to get this thing done for work. Or, you know, tomorrow I'm I'm going to forego this event, happy hour work event, because I really want to spend time with my kid. Whatever it is, it's just and it's having confidence and comfort in the decisions that you make. And I think that's something that I'm a muscle that I continuously am trying to flex is how do I. Um, recognize that every day is going to be different, that every day I'm going to lean into one thing versus another, but that I'm okay with it once I've made that decision of what I'm going to do. 
Mm-hmm. So true. So true. I don't think people really think of it that way. It does seem like FOMO gets in the way. If I don't do this, then I might not build my career. But it's in fact, you need to do those things so that you can be in a place to build your career and be at your best. Yeah. I mean, look, in an honest moment, like I, I, um, I will never travel the way that, you know, I have a working spouse. Um, you know, my husband also works at, and, and I have three young kids. Like, I cannot be gone for 10 days and go on these international trips or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, be gone in two, two conferences that are back to back. I have to choose one. Like I, I will go to California for one day sometimes. And um, I do ask myself, is that career limiting? Um, but I have to also believe that in this life, we work hard to also have a good life. And so um, I don't ever want to forego that. When I look back, I, my greatest accomplishment will be my children. Um, I hope it will also be the impact that I've made on our society as it relates to the health and care that we are delivered, um, the experience that we have in healthcare as consumers. But I I also have to recognize that, you know, there, it is always imperfect. And I think this is one of the biggest challenges for working women um, is that, you know, I still wear the hat, you know, I, I still carry the mental load, right? I still but I, I also have this job and I also spend a lot of time with my kids. And so um, there, there is not a perfect answer. I will say you started this off with these sort of digital health badass women. Mm-hmm. Um, I am so grateful for the community of women that I've built um, because that is my personal board of directors. Those are the women that give me sounding boards when I have challenges. You know, women that I can talk to about a deal I'm working on and in the same breath talk about how my youngest was up at 3.30 in the morning and why the F is he not going to sleep, right? That I could talk about how my middle is having, um, you know, he's a super picky eater and, um, you know, at the same time talk about a fundraise that I'm working on for the fund. So I think just um, having people in your life that you can genuinely talk about the diversity of, of challenges that you have to get the right guidance um, to try to make you know the best decision we can with the information we have today. Only hindsight will tell me if I didn't go to that conference that I really miss out or you know my guess is probably not, but you're right. It's a very strong pull um, when you skip certain things to feel like maybe I should have been there. What are some things that you did to kind of build that community? You know, we us we hit like a girl has our podcast, but we also have our vibrant community of folks that meet at conferences and we meet online. And I'm wondering, what is that for digital health investor women? You know, and how did you meet other amazing folks that are in your space that you can really have that real life and work life connection with? Yes, I will. Um, so I will. I will start with a couple of, of anecdotes. Um, you know, one of the things I always tell to investors early on in their career is um, depth, not breadth. So, you know, one of the early ways that I um, built relationships was instead of like doing monthly calls with a hundred different investors, like find the people that you really relate to, find the people that you genuinely want to work with, um, and build a relationship with them. Like I think that's a big part of this job is going deep with people that you trust because when you then go on, you know, I'm, I am sprinting on a deal right now with, with, um, the seed investor is a very close friend of mine. And I know that we are going to do a really good job as board members because I have a real relationship with this person. Um, and we have real alignment. 
And then there's also, um, you know, I found myself in, in different communities. I have a community of four women that we started talking um, via text in the pandemic. We sort of found ourselves on the same text chain. And now three years later, we've literally texted every single day since. And one of them, you know, I considered them my best friends. Um, one of them, I actually didn't meet until a year into knowing her. Um, in person, which is crazy. Um, so again, and you knew just, all about like her child's eating habits I, and I her everything. Everything and... <laughs> I knew her fears and her hopes and her children and her wow. life. And wow. Um, so you know, I think that it's. Um, I think it's super important just to find the to to trust the organic nature of these relationships to not go after you know. I have to be friends with this person because of their name, right? Or their firm brand. Like people move in this industry all the time. Like I want to be, I want to build a relationship with people that are like, that I, that I think are good people, you know? Like I want to build a relationship with people that I trust um, because a lot of this, and again, we're on these boards for a very long time. That's super important to have. Absolutely. You know, I don't think people realize in the digital health community and the B2B space and they're so stuck that digital health investors are not necessarily competitors, like they're collaborators, you know, folks that are at a different firm, you're often are going in on deals together. And so, you know, when you're building those, it's like almost like you're building relationships with your competitors, but they're not competitors, they're collaborators, which is really interesting dynamic. Yes. Yeah. I'll, I always give this that, um, I look at about 2,000 deals a year and do two to four deals a year. Wow. So the odds wow. that I am competing on a deal with somebody is so extremely low slim. Yes. versus the odds that we can do something together are much higher. And so that is exactly like thinking about funds as competitors. I, I, that is, again, philosophically, not how I um, tend to build. Now, we're a different type of fund. We are disciplined. We are small. We are focused. Um, we have a rinse and repeat model that we know works and is successful. And we're not playing a, an AUM game. Um, you know, other folks may feel differently, but at least for us, like we do believe that having a lot of smart people around the table in healthcare is a really good thing. Mm, I love that. So to finish off this conversation, right? I'm wondering, you know, where can our listeners find you online? Yes, uh, you can always find me on Twitter. Uh, Alyssa Joy Jaffe. I um, will always uh, speak my mind. I, I, you know, I didn't really understand Twitter um, <laughs> for a long time because, and and I just got the advice like, look, you learn interesting things every day. You can keep it to yourself or you can share it. And so my mantra is really when I learn interesting things, I share it. Um, but I will always say what I think. I will always share my thoughts and my thoughts alone. Um, nobody proofs or beautifies my language. Um, it's really just, um, you know, I think the raw version of myself. Um, obviously, you know, you can see me on LinkedIn. I highly advise against, you know, LinkedIn messaging. My belief is, um, I think that there is for folks who really want you know, to be an adventure, want funding, you know, I think there's um there is a hustle factor that goes along with it. And it is so easy to find my contact information. It's so easy to get an introduction to me, to find my email, to write me a thoughtful note. Um, I find that um uh, I, I like those that take on the extra effort. I, I think it makes a big difference um in showing who you are. Um and that if you do that with me, like I know you're gonna do that with a customer as well. That is terrific. And it, it makes sense. Like Google, find my email, right? So That's honestly, where I have. I'm, so, I'm such a public person. Like it's really, 
it really should not be that hard. Um, you know, I, I, the, the funniest is when I always have uh, University of Chicago people like, my email is in the directory. Like, literally, you can find my email in the directory. So, um, uh, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan, obviously. Look, one of the hardest things for me is um, I do have to say no a lot. And um, not just to founders, but to call, like, I wish that I could say yes to everybody. I wish that I could do more to take on every call. Um, I, I, um, when I talk about balance, like this is one of the hardest things because that, the, the discipline I have to create in my life is so I, I, my children get that benefit. Um, and unfortunately some other things have to go by the wayside. And so I'm always trying to work through that. I'm always trying to work through, you know, how I continue. So many people were so generous with their time and their guidance. Like I want to be that same person too. Um, but I also have to create boundaries so that I can be a human. Absolutely makes sense. And it sounds like you're being so generous with your wisdom online, just sharing what you're learning, sharing your insights. And if folks really want to understand you, maybe go look and see what yes, you've written about yes, in the past yes, if they have a question yes, on it. Yes. Well, thank you so much. You know, before I forget, did you happen to bring tea with oh, you today? Oh, I did. I did. I did. You know, you and I are thematically... Can you Tell see me about this mom. says strong as a mother. Strong as a mother. Yes. Hit like a girl. And mine Yay, says world's cute. best mom. So we're just a bunch of moms chatting hit today. Moms <laughs> chat, spilling the tea. I say. love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Alyssa. It was a true joy. And I know our community is going to be so happy to have had you on here. Thank you so much for having me, Grace. It was such a pleasure. It was great to see you. And thank you, everyone, for taking the time to listen. I'm very grateful. And thanks to you folks for joining us too. Check out the Hit Like a Girl podcast website and YouTube page for more great guests like Alyssa today. Cheers. Cheers. Like a Girl Media is more than a media network. It's a community. We want to meet you and amplify your voice and the voices of outstanding women innovating in healthcare. Interested in starting your own podcast or hosting an event near you? Connect with us online or in person. We're here to support and empower you. 